Welcome to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. In this podcast, financial planner Peter Raskin helps families and business owners understand and prepare for their wealth journey. Along the way, thoughtful and detailed planning can provide clarity and confidence as clients confront a multitude of financial decisions. Listen in as Peter shares stories and insight into people's wealth journeys. Now, let's get into today's podcast. Hello, and welcome to Wealth is in the Details with Peter Raskin from Raskin Planning Group. Peter, how are you? I'm doing fine, Eric. How about yourself? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited. This is a today's going to be a, kind of a different format. A listener, just want you to know that that Peter gets questions all the time, obviously, in, in his profession, who's not going to get tons of questions, especially right now. We're going to actually go through the most frequently asked questions that Peter gets. He's given me a list. I'm going to be asking him these questions, but I want you to know that if you if you don't hear a question that you have, please email Peter the question. Number one, he's going to answer it right away. He's not going to wait for it to be on the podcast, but you're not the only one with the question. That's all there is to it. You are not the only one that has that question. We'd love to get that question in and we will address it or Peter will address it. I won't because I won't know the answer. Peter will address it on a future podcast. So we'd love for you to do that. We're going to give Peter's contact information at the end of the, the podcast here, but this is quite a list. So Peter, you ready to jump in? I'm ready. One of the, my great pleasures is, is meeting with clients and, and answering questions. So mm-hmm. uh, I thought this was a natural thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and uh, be warned, audience, we may not get through every question in this first podcast. This may be a two-parter. We don't know. We'll, we'll see where the, the day takes us. But let's jump in. Frequently asked questions. So the first one is, Peter, given recent declines in the market, which we've all been watching that, what changes should we make to our portfolios? Yeah, I've been getting a lot of those questions recently. <laughs> and and recently, this is the middle part of middle part of June mm-hmm. in 2022. And so uh, we've seen markets decline by, you know, over 20% and a lot of, lot of, lot of skittish clients and investors. So given market declines, uh, should we make changes? And the, the answer to that, not surprisingly, is it depends. Mm-hmm. The, the, the first thing I ask is, well, let's talk about your current situation and has it changed relative to, to your plan, your long-term plan? Have things changed dramatically other than the fact that your account statements may show a, 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 a lower value than it did, did in January of this year or even, even November of last year? So, so question is, is, is your, has your world really changed? And, and, and what's, your, what's your situation? Do you need liquidity right away? Do you need cash? Do you, do you need to liquidate? Do you need to feel more comfortable because your statements are down and it's making you really anxious? Mm-hmm. So these are, it really does depend. Should we make any changes? And I err on the side of not making changes for change sake. Just because markets are down, just because values are down and there's lots of noise in the uh, on the news and in the newspapers and people are talking about it doesn't need, mean that the good plan that we had in place last year or the good allocation of stocks and bonds and cash, which we had last year, is now bad. You still own 
really good companies in your portfolio of stocks and bonds. I, I say this probably once a day now, <laughs> recently, mm-hmm. is uh, if we look at the actual companies that you own in your, in your stock and bond portfolio, they will consist of companies that manufacture things that we need and want. And just because markets are down right now doesn't mean that people aren't going to continue to buy things like toilet paper. Mm -hmm. And they're still driving their cars and they are still consuming items. They're still going, doing takeout, going to restaurants. They're still buying iPhones and iPads and doing all the things that they were doing before. Now, it may be more expensive now. And for for many people, it it is truly a difficult time as they're filling up their car and spending over $100 on a a gas of a a tank of oil, of gasoline. But for most of our clients, and and frankly, most of of the people in this economy, they're going to be okay. It doesn't mean that it's not a struggle and doesn't mean that they can't, don't have to make sacrifices from a cash flow perspective, but they're going to be okay. And, and, and so will our listeners mm-hmm. and change for change sake is not necessarily a good option. So the answer is it depends. Don't, don't necess- we don't necessarily want to throw the, the baby out with the bathwater. We may want to make adjustments, but not significant changes. Yeah. Well, as I'm looking through these questions, Peter, they are incredible questions. I know that you've, you've had to field daily in a lot of cases, but listener, I want to speak to you directly. The questions that you're hearing me ask Peter, if you're not working with Peter currently, these are great questions to ask your advisor. And the reason I say that is because your advisor should have those answers. If they don't, or they're hesitant to answer them, or they don't know how to answer them, we'll talk at the end of the podcast. Peter always does a complimentary meeting with you. If you want to ask him these questions or you want to talk to him about it, I'm not dissing anybody's advisor out there, but they're just advisors that aren't equipped for this kind of situation. That's all there is to it. And I, again, I'm not trying to speak poorly of them, but if you're not working with Peter, take these questions that Peter's going to answer now, ask them of your advisor and compare the answers and see what you think. I just wanted to put that out there, Peter. All right, let's go on to the next question. Peter, how does inflation affect my plan? And you've talked about plans a lot. Right. <laughs> well, we are planners. Yes. Inflation can wreak havoc on any financial plan over a long period of time. And inflation has been in re- recent past over the last 10 years, really very, very low, un- unusually low. And we've seen an incredible pickup in inflation recently over the last 12 months. You know, inflation is well over 8%. And, and I think it's important to do to define what that means. So inflation is really the year over year price increases in a basket of goods that were or services that we're, we're purchasing. So if we think about the, the, the cost of living, if we think about it over, over a year ago, that was significantly lower than it is now. But it's the infl- that inflation percentage over 8% is really the increase from a year ago. And so prices have gone up. Some prices have gone up significantly. Others have gone up and have come back down. Um, We've seen that with some commodities. I'm thinking lumber, for example, is just one example that it went up significantly. Mm -hmm. And now it's, it's down. It's not down where it was, 
but it's down significantly from where it was with the recent increase. So how does inflation affect my plan? Well, what we need to do in order to answer that truly is to update the financial plan to reflect your current pricing on on goods and services that you're buying. And that's what we do on a regular basis. Some of our clients are updating their plan annually. Some may not update it every single year, but that's what we recommend. It's kind of like going to a doctor, your primary care once a year for a checkup. We recommend the same. And what we do is we want to reflect in your current plan, your current prices, the current cost of living. And so when we update your financial plan from a year ago, some of the the goods and services you're buying are much more expensive. Food, for example, um, travel, um, these kinds of things are significantly higher and we want to add that increase to your plan. And we want to revise your plan to reflect those, those new prices. And I can say that the vast majority, 99% of the clients that we've been updating their plans over the last six and eight and 12 months have seen really no effect to the results of their financial plan. They haven't had to make any significant adjustments to their plan to reflect inflation. And I think that that says a lot about who our clients are, and our clients tend to be affluent and 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 have choices and and have have significant assets. So it goes to say that those those typical clients are not as affected by those in our society that have lesser means. But I I, I think that the answer to that is. Inflation may not affect your plan as dramatically as you might imagine. We actually use a, a, an inflation number that is a 30, uh, about a 30-year average. And so it's not going to reflect current pricing, mm-hmm. price of inflation. It just it can't because we're looking at, at the last 10 and 15 years, which is a significantly lower inflation number. But over a long period of time, inflation does affect our planning. But if we keep if we keep updating the cost of living in our in our revised plans, it gives us a real picture of of how that inflation does affect us. So most of our clients are fine. They don't like paying more for their goods and services, but they'll be they'll be fine no matter e- even if that occurs. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people, and I'm just speaking for my family, but I, well, and my family and my friends, because we've talked about this, right? I think that's what we're all talking about right now is we're going to make different decisions. I, I'm not going to make the decision not to put gas in my truck or my car, my car because I need to drive. Right? That, that's a necessity. But the other day, Peter, I was, uh, you know, we have Alexa and we'll say, Hey, Alexa, put such and such on the shopping list. I, I love potato chips. I love little snack foods, things like that. So I had asked my wife, hey, can you can you grab some potato chips at the store? She brought them home and I was, you know, we ate some. And then the next day, you know, a couple of days later, I grabbed the bag and, and I put in some in a bowl because I have to do that because I'll eat the whole bag if I take the bag to the living room, right? So I'll put some in a bowl and I looked at that bag, Peter, six fifty for a family size. Now, this was not a party size bag. This is a family size bag. And I immediately told my wife, I said, okay, well, I'm done with potato chips. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious, right? So we make those small adjustments ourselves. And it's not that I can't afford a $6.50 bag of potato chips. It used to be like $3.59. But now this bag was $6.50. 
It's not that I can't afford that. It's ridiculous to pay that, in my opinion. It's ridiculous to pay that for a snack food that's not good for me anyway, right? So I'm, <laughs> right. I'm all about like, you know, forget it. Now, ice cream's not off the table. I don't care what that goes to. Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, those are the types of decisions I think every family makes just based on how much they're willing to pay, right? So it's not that their plan changes because you've already mapped out their plan. Their plans are, are holding, but maybe individually on shopping basis is we're like, we're going to slow down a little bit with certain things because it just doesn't feel right to pay that much. And I, I think consumers are, are doing that all over the country. I, don't I think know. you're I, right. Yeah. I, I just think that that's, that's one way we can adjust our plan ourselves, meaning just our regular daily budget. So anyway, all right, back to the questions. You're the pro. Here we go. <laughs> Peter, are bonds safe? I, I find this so fascinating because you've talked about bonds a, a lot on different episodes, but are bonds safe? I've never thought about that. Yeah, I've gotten that question a lot, especially this this, this year. And first, I think it's really helpful to just kind of backtrack a little bit and just talk a, what, what a bond is, because I think mm -hmm. that helps understand if bonds are safe or not. Okay. So, so a bond is a is issued by an entity, whether that's a, a, a corporation, whether it's a, a a government entity, the the U.S. federal government, it could be the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, or or a state or a, or a municipality, and so they they issue bonds. They want to borrow money, and they. In order to borrow money, you've got to promise an interest rate that you're going to pay for someone to, to lend money to you. And so what a bond is, is, is basically a contract between the entity and an individual that is lending money to that entity. So if I'm buying a bond from the, uh, the U.S. Treasury and I'm going to give it to them, to, the, to our federal government for 10 years, they're going to pay me a certain amount of interest per year for 10 years. And at the end of that 10 years, they promised to pay me my, 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 my capital back, the amount that I lent them in the first place. So a bond is, is as safe as the entity that's doing the borrowing. And if I'm, if I'm lending my funds to the US federal government, well, that's the safest bet on, in the, on the planet. I'm, I'm, very certain that I'm going to get my money back if I lend mm -hmm. to the U.S. federal, U.S. Treasury. Very comfortable lending to many states in the United States of America that are strong and um, and 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 have excellent track record in paying their debt as well. Um, I'm comfortable lending money to many municipalities, and I'm also comfortable to lending money to many corporations that are investment grade that have deemed to be of high quality, have plenty of uh, capital to pay back the amount that I've lent them. So our bond safe, for the most part, investment grade bonds are on the safer side because they're deemed to be of good quality. They're, they're good quality debt. And so I feel comfortable in many cases lending my money to, to those entities. And I think a lot of investors do as well. But a bond, a bond goes up and down in value depending upon the current interest rate environment. If, if I'm lending the US government $1,000 and they're promising me, let's say 2% interest over the next 10 years, and a year from now, interest rates go up to 3% or 4%. If I wanna sell that bond to someone, they're not gonna be satisfied earning 
a 2% yield when they can go out and get the same, pay the same am amount of money to get a 4% bond. So in order to sell that bond, I'm going to I'm going to have to discount the price of the bond so that the yield on the on the for the buyer of that bond is going to actually yield 4%. So interest rates when interest rates go up, the bond values over in the in the short term go down because because someone is is trying to to buy that bond and they're going to need it they're, need, they're going to need to buy it at a lower price. If bond interest rates go down, my bond might go up in value for the short term. But as we get closer to the maturity date of that bond, the bond price goes back up to the par value. And the, 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 there's, there's no loss depending upon the price that I paid for it. So bonds are a relatively safe or safer investment than other kinds of vehicles. Not all bonds are guaranteed by the by the federal government. Those are deemed to be the safest bonds. But but there are many investment grade bonds which are safe if held to maturity. If you're trying to sell a bond in mid mid cycle before it matures, it may be worth less or more than what you initially purchased it for. And so what we're seeing right now are bond values that have gone down in value for the short term because interest rates have gone up pretty dramatically and very quickly. Mm -hmm. So, so people are looking at their bonds and their mutual funds that own bonds and say, oh my goodness, that, that bond or that mutual fund has gone down in value currently. And they're questioning the safety of their bonds because their bonds are worth less right now. Mm -hmm. But if they're not selling the bond or the mutual fund, and as time goes on, that bond value is likely to get closer to its, 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 the value of, 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 of what it was before interest rates started to cycle up. And over time, this will, the, the, the bonds will, will mature and bond values will come back to, where, to their par value. Even in mutual funds, that happens as well. Now, there are some, some volatility that needs to be con considered, but for the most part, I would say bonds are safer investments and do their job, which is to dampen the volatility of the stock market, which is not nearly as safe in the short run. Bond stocks can go up and down much more dramatically than typically bonds do. All right. Well, this next question is... I love this one because this is this is a fantastic question that I think is happening quite a bit right now. My portfolio is down, Peter, and I need liquidity. Where should I access cash? Yeah, this is this is the problem, and it, it ref, reflects reflects back to the question, the previous question. If I need liquidity, if I need to sell assets right now, it's likely we're going to realize losses, and we have to be very careful. Uh, 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 how we do that. There's no good answer right now if you've not planned for liquidity. If it's an unplanned event and you need to withdraw funds from a stock portfolio, you have to recognize that you're going to be realizing losses. It's a, it's a fact. We have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. The key here is what are my options? Do I have other options? And, and many, some people may not have those options, but I, I just want to speak to a couple of things that, that could be available to, to someone. Not recommending any of them because every situation is different, but we want to at least consider it. 
So if you don't want to redeem cash from a stock and bond portfolio or from a, a, a portfolio that includes mutual funds that may own stocks and bonds because they're down, uh, you may have to look elsewhere. And one of, those, one of those vehicles might be a home equity line of credit. So uh, banks often uh, to, to, will offer liquidity based on the collateral, using their house as collateral. And there may, there may be available cash through a home equity loan. Another option is a securities-backed line of credit. Uh, many banks are able to issue liquidity based on on collateralizing a portfolio of stocks, bonds, mutual funds, exchange-traded exchange funds. There's risk with that as well. And I think that needs to be carefully considered. But for short-term access to cash, it's, it's reasonable, as well as the home equity line of credit. Other places to access cash could be uh, life insurance cash surrender value especially if it's from a, a, a universal life or, or a traditional whole life policy where there's not a lot of market volatility. Again, these are short-term solutions, may not be good long-term solutions, but if you need cash immediately, they are places to, to do that. It's unfortunate, uh, but if you do need cash, to liquidate and sell in a down market, but sometimes it's necessary and, yeah. and, and it may be the only choice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this one is almost the flip flip side of that question, flip side of the coin for that question. And this is going to be the last question for this podcast, Peter. So brace yourself. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> I have cash sitting on the sidelines, earning very, very little. What do I do? Yeah, I get this almost as frequently as I get questions about how hard or, or concerns about how horrible the markets are. Mm -hmm. So the first question is, you can invest your, your, that cash. When do you need it? Mm. When, what's the objective for this investment? What are you trying to achieve? You know, right now, money market accounts and cash uh, savings accounts and checking accounts are, are still earning very little despite the, the pickup in, in interest rates recently. And, and, and people are frustrated, especially when they consider the cost of infla inflation, you know, mm -hmm. the, the cost of, of their goods and services they're buying. But if their need for cash is such that they want to park it in an investment for a short period of time, let's say six months, 12 months, 24 months, or even 36 months, but they need the money soon thereafter, I, I think it, it, it makes sense to keep money in cash or on the sidelines, earning very little, because we don't know what's going to happen in the near future. All bets are off what's going to happen in the next week, uh, two months, even two years. I have no idea how the stock market and the bond market are going to react going forward. I, I, my crystal ball does not work. It's yeah. never worked. <laughs> so short term, I don't know what's going to happen with markets and short term, I think you want to be careful and cautious. So mm -hmm. keeping money in parked in a CD, um, which is kind of like cash, you know, a six to 12 month CD is reasonable. Keeping money in a savings account is reasonable. Money market funds are reasonable. And as interest rates go up, when that CD matures, it will, it will earn a little bit more if I buy another six or 12 month CD. 
if interest rates continue to go up, my money market fund will continue to earn a little bit more. It's the cost of liquidity. It's it's not a good long-term solution, but cash is a good short-term solution. So if I'm looking for short-term, short-term investments, I think cash and money market funds are fine. Long-term, we have a different conversation. If you're thinking five years, seven years, 10 years as an investment time horizon, then I think there's a real good argument that right now may be a, a reasonable time to, to, to buy or start to buy uh, stocks and bonds and mutual funds and exchange-traded funds. Build a portfolio. I don't know if we're, we're at, the, at the end of this decline. I don't know if we're closer to the end than we are to, for, to, uh, to the beginning of it. But I, do, I know that at some point in time, markets will start increasing again. I, I just don't know when that's going to happen. It's, it's always happened in the past. And I suggest that a well-diversified portfolio will at some point get back to where it was at the most recent peak, because it always has. Yeah. We just don't know when that'll happen. So I think there's two ways to approach it. One is to jump all in <laughs> and uh, build that appropriate portfolio of stocks and bonds that it feels appropriate for the, the circumstance. And the other way to do that is to, is to think about adding money to, to, to the markets slowly over time, mm-hmm. maybe over a three-month period, over a six-month or 12-month period, and what we call dollar cost averaging, buy when the markets are low, buy when they've gone up, but just keep, keep on putting money into the markets, take the emotion out of it, don't try to time it at all, and because you're a long-term investor. If markets continue to go down, you would have been happy that your dollar cost averaged in because you're able to buy more shares as prices go down. If markets go up, you're happy because your your initial investment has gone up in value. If markets continue to go up, you probably would have been better off buying it right lump sum right 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 now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we don't know if that's going to happen. So I think dollar cost averaging or or buying systematically over a period of time is a good way to put your feet into the into the um, into the water and just just get a little bit wet and 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 get exposure as as we work through these difficult volatile markets. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate the transparency that your crystal ball is broken. I I <laughs> use a magic eight ball myself, and all it ever tells me is stop shaking me. So I don't, just <laughs> right. it's very sarcastic, Peter. I promised the listener at the beginning we're going to give some contact information so that they can be asking these questions of you, or they can compare the, you know, the answers that their advisor gave to, to some of the things that you're saying here today. What's the best way to reach out to you? Certainly give me a, give me a call uh, directly 617-728-7433. My website is, is a good way to contact us. It's got all our contact information and that's raskinplanning.com. So please uh, check us out there. We also have 80 plus podcasts that that, that mm-hmm. our listeners can listen to and and many of these questions that they're asking have been answered over over these 80 podcasts so don't hesitate to take a listen to anything that that might interest you that's relevant to your circumstance yeah absolutely peter again thank you so much for your time i know that we're coming back with uh, the second part of this podcast which is frequently asked questions so please listeners stay tuned for that but between now and then peter thank you so much you're welcome, Eric. Great to chat with you. And uh, I know before we started, you were talking about how uh, 
how warm it is where you are. And mm-hmm. I hope that, uh, hope that weather breaks and you start cooling off. Me too. Me too. It's uh, it's almost as hot as the markets. So yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, again, Peter, thank you so much. And of course to you, the listener, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the wealth is in the details podcast with Peter Raskin. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Peter comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast rate it and leave a review as this actually helps others find the show. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Raskin Planning Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corp. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Peter Raskin is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Securities offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corp., a broker-dealer, member SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Sagemark Consulting, a division of Lincoln Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Affiliates and other fine companies. Raskin Planning Group is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.